Hello everyone and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast, your episode-by-episode podcast guide through the classic Transformers Generation 1 cartoon. I am Jeremy Graves and joining me as we now reach the conclusion of Season 3 of Transformers Generation 1, my good friend in crime, Mr. Andy Hanley. Good sir, how are you doing today? I'm doing very good. I I want to preface this podcast with an advance apology because I feel like I've spent a lot of the tw- the last 24 hours referring to these episodes as the Revenge of Optimus Prime, which is <laughs> not what this story is at all. But for some reason, it's kind of stuck in my head. I don't know whether it's like the Revenge of Bruticus is like nuz- nudging in there to kind of confuse me, but I I have consistently and repeatedly called it the Revenge of Optimus Prime. So if that happens on this podcast, I'd just like to say right now, I am sorry. I do know what I'm talking about about i have definitely watched these episodes honest i mean so the first thing i'm thinking of now just to completely diverge the topic right from the get-go is wasn't the original title for return of the jedi going to be revenge of the jedi i think that's like some i'll say law or scuttlebutt that that sounds like a thing that yeah would would happen and kind of makes sense so so sure but uh, but yeah lots of prime doesn't really do any revenging I mean, episodes, you say that so. he has to, he gets to beat up Rodimus a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that's kind of you know, that's that's a little little bit a little bit different, but uh, but uh, but yeah, there, there you go. But uh, yeah, we're at the end of season three, so I'm I, I'm really excited to like you know get through all of the masses of season four that we have to look forward to. Oh wait, it's only three episodes. <laughs> Exactly. We we will touch on that a little bit later. But we've already alluded to it, so let's just clarify it for the sake of continuity in our podcast here. Today, we will be discussing the final two episodes of Season 3, that being Episodes 29 and 30, The Return of Optimus Prime two-parter story. But before we get to that little bit of quick housekeeping, if you are a first-time listener, thank you very much for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. If you do, why not tell a friend? And you can find us on the likes of Apple Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, you name it, we've done our best to get there. You can also find our free long-term audio archive at patreon.com forward slash starscreamsghost. I say a free long-term audio archive because we're not looking to get any pledges so you will receive extra content. It's literally just a place to be able to store the podcast long-term. And if you want to see how we're going to be discussing and reacting to all of this, in case you are watching it already, hello to you. How are you doing? But we do a video version of each and every episode of this podcast. Simply head over to youtube.com, search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast, and you should find our channel there just fine. You can watch every single podcast right from the very first episodes of season one. And boy, Andy, does that feel a long time ago at this point. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. It's uh, I continue to like marvel at how many. Ep- see what I did there, Marvel. Um, uh, I continue to, to marvel at how many episodes of Transformers we've we've somehow managed to watch. Because I mean, I think as I said at the start of this whole thing, for a long time I'd wanted to just sit down and rewatch all of OG G One Transformers, but had never quite found the the, the motivation um, to to do it so um, so yeah we're we're almost there and and it's almost a thing that I've actually managed to do. Now you mentioned about watching all of G One there. Some people may wonder how are we doing this. Well, everyone, if you go to YouTube.com but look up the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel, every single episode 
of the US G1 continuity is up there 100% legally and free. So that is how we are watching them, and that is also how the episode ordering has been dictated throughout this entire podcast run. But we know full well, Andy, this is definitely the last two episodes of Season 3. Yeah, it is indeed. And the the follow-up to Dark Awakening, which we watched like a, a several years ago, it feels like <laughs> at this point. A very long time ago. And we were teased with, once again, I mean, for the second time, you know, Transformers has teased us that Optimus Prime will return. And finally, it has made good on that. So, do you know what? This is a good place to start, actually, when it comes to this, I wanted to do this anyway. Let's quickly touch on the Dark Awakening episode from earlier in Season 3. Now, for everyone listening and or watching this, if you want to hear our entire thoughts on that episode, which caught us totally off guard on the subject matter, you can go back into the podcast archive. We encourage you to listen to that because, man, did that do a number on us as we were talking about at the end of the last <laughs> podcast as well. But a couple of sort of a, of cliff notes, and then maybe we'll sort of follow on from there as to what, well, as to how it leads on to what we're talking about today, but also in hindsight now, kind of the impact of that episode and maybe what it did and didn't do. So, the episode focused on the Autobots escaping the Decepticons and them ultimately taking up refuge in a giant spaceship, which turns out to effectively be the Autobot Graveyard Mausoleum, whatever the word is that they actually use in the episode, containing the corpses and or some remnants of former dead comrades, including Optimus Prime, it turns out. Speaking of... The heavily battle-damaged Prime is suddenly just alive. He regains the Matrix from Rodimus, who then reverts to Hot Rod for a little bit, but it turns out that he has been reprogrammed by the Quintessons, and in the process, turns on the Autobots, effectively, and is leading them to their impending doom. However, the reprogramming didn't actually work and wasn't a foolproof solution that the Quintessons had thought of because of the Matrix, as the influence of that was clouding the reprogrammed judgment of Optimus Prime. Ultimately, he returns the Matrix to Rodimus, gives his comrades time to escape an impending doom of, like, missiles and whatnot from the Quintessons, and what we are left with is Optimus Prime sitting in a chair, and missiles are flying towards the ship, his eyes are falling out, he's lost an arm, he's just literally being blown to smithereens, and we get a giant explosion where there's a constellation that looks like Optimus Prime's face, and seemingly they're going, ah, we'll call it like the Prime Constellation, or something along those lines. And then that's kind of how it ends, but on the version that we saw, which we talked about this in the TF Wiki notes, so again, listen to our full review if you want to hear those notes more in depth. It alludes to the fact that Optimus Prime will return tomorrow, or something to that effect. And now, like, 20 episodes later, I think it is, Andy, because I want to say that was roughly, like, the eighth or so episode of season three. We're now at episode 29 and 30. That's how long we have waited for this. And, boy, having that context of that episode and it launching straight into this, there's some inconsistencies. Yeah, yeah, there, there is. I mean, Optimus Prime has had something of a makeover since we last saw him, <laughs> it's fair to say. Yeah, so I think with that being said, in terms of Dark Awakening and what it led to, Andy, in some ways, I'm actually kind of happy we got a bit of distance from that episode because it actually would have felt like a big culture shock going straight from that into this, given how the episode begins, which we're about to dive into. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I'm very curious as to, and 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 maybe maybe we will discover this as we go. Like, I'm curious as to whether this was 
a continuity error, whether this was a deliberate decision of, like, you can't show Optimus Prime like that again. Like, he traumatized all the kids previously. You know, let's let's tone it down a bit. Um, or, or, you know, what the what the the decision making or whether there was any decision making around that i assume it is just a good old-fashioned continuity of you know people not kind of passing on the information of like okay th this is what we did for this episode so this is your starting point um but yeah i think actually having a bit of distance from it at least probably helped with that um kind of curious to, to see like you know this episode also takes us back to sort of other bits of backstory from prior in the series as well which I, I one of the few things i had not recalled about these episodes as it turned out it's like oh yeah this is sort of you know a bit a bit of sort of not really deep lore but kind of you know stuff that had happened in earlier episodes coming coming back around into uh into this little story which is quite a nice little touch to be fair yeah, and pun intended for how this ultimate end ultimately ends, by the way, which I won't spoil entirely now, but some people will probably figure out what I mean by that. So, let's delve in to Season 3, Episode 29, appropriately on our 29th podcast, it should be said, that being The Return of Optimus Prime Part 1. To highlight this from the outset, just so I've covered our bases on this, the animation studio credited according to the TF Wiki for Part 1 is Toei, and then for Part 2, it's Toei and Studio Look, which gotta be said Andy unsurprising given some of the tremendous quality of these that we see in these episodes yeah yeah especially I mean again like part two gets a bit of that kind of movie character shininess like that, that I, I really love the like oh so, so somebody's polished the Transformers and given them a <laughs> wax between these two episodes um but yeah like even part one you know it's it's that it felt like watching a season two episode in a lot of ways because it, it had that that look to it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely... Uh, and again, you know, this was heavily released on VHS. So you kind of probably imagine that they wanted to farm it out to the best studios possible to make it not look like garbage, basically. <laughs> and in terms of the writers for the episode, it was Sherry, or Sheree, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce that, but Sheree Wilkerson and Marv Wolfman, who we have spoken about previously. But Sheree Wilkerson, an American writer who, in addition to writing Transformers per the TF Wiki, also wrote episodes of Gem and the Holograms, Ruby Spears' Superman, and Batman the Animated Series. Now, I think when it came to Marv Wolfman, it was previously relating to a screenplay credit, if memory serves. I know it wasn't actually an episode he he had written, slash, or it may have been a directed one. Memory's gone off the brain right now, but there we go. But Wolfman is a legendary comic book writer, known for his work on the likes of the new Teen Titans and Crisis on Infinite Earths, but also has, has a number of co-creator credits on a number of classic characters, such as, from the DC Universe specifically, Deathstroke, Cyborg, Raven, Starfire, Brother Blood, and as we move into other elements of, of comic lore, if you will, you've also got Bullseye, Blade, Lots and lots of stuff. Even Tim Drake, one of the Robins in the Batman universe as well, going back to DC for a second. The Nova Corps and Marvel, a heck of a lot, to say the least. And in terms of Marv Wolfman, not only co-wrote these particular episodes, Andy, and as mentioned, has been involved in other episodes, also was involved in writing some episodes of Beast Wars and Beast Machines. Okay, interesting. So it's actually got a bit of a through line as well. And in fact, a little uh, extra credit, story editor on the last part of season three, it's noted on the TF Wiki. So that would allude to what I was talking about a second ago. 
So, The Return of Optimus Prime, Part 1. We begin on a deep space mission with, with a ship that we come to learn is named Solaris, and the two pilots on board are testing a new heat and radiation-resistant alloy that they have developed. The two scientists in question, Jessica Morgan and Gregory Swafford, I think the name was, it was really weird to try and write that down with how it's pronounced, they detect a ship on their radar, which is on a collision course with a planet, which blatantly looks like an asteroid, just saying, but they detect life signs on board, and there's one life sign, Optimus Prime. Already, Andy, little bit of a continuity issue here, seemingly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do question, yeah, what, what constitutes a life sign here? Because that's, yeah, that doesn't quite add up. But, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll run with that at least, because otherwise, yeah, like, ev everything falls apart within the first 30 seconds. And they, on their monitor, they see who is inside. That's how they realise it's Optimus Prime. We see him basically sitting in the exact same position we saw him in at the end of Dark Awakening albeit with seemingly no battle damage whatsoever, a nice new coat of paint. Still got an arm and an eyeball as well, Andy. So all things considered, he's done really well after that explosion at the end of Dark Awakening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the power of the Matrix. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm very much struggling. <laughs> Unicron magic. <laughs> yeah, very much struggling to make this continuity work in my head. I I, I will confess. Like, it's, it's sort of, it's maybe the equivalent of, like, when a, one of your Transformers toys broke and then suddenly, like, your mum takes it away and brings it back and it's fine. It, it was just like that. <laughs> but, yeah, very, very strange. Like I say, love to know. I assume just a weird continuity continuity error given like the production codes for these episodes and how they ended up kind of coming about and being scheduled but you'd have thought that there would have been a little bit of cross talk of like hey this is this is how we've left this episode because this is kind of a three-parter in a sense if you like factor dark awakening into it like other stuff you can let fly but you'd have thought somebody would have left a post-it note saying like probably want to make optimus prime look banged up this is what we did to him but Apparently that didn't happen, and he just looks fine now. Or, uh, like I say, maybe it was just let's not traumatize traumatize the kids again. <laughs> they've seen they've seen enough of battle damaged Optimus Prime. Let's just make <laughs> him new and shiny again. This brings up an interesting question for me already, in the sense of uh, we talked about after watching Dark Awakening that this that that episode in particular it never felt like it was mentioned or it's never really noted as being another optimus prime based story within season 3 it's always focused on the return of optimus prime and we were wondering why was that never included like on tapes and such like to go with it cuz that would make a great 3 episode mm. tape to say the least yeah the way this starts now kind of perhaps makes me see why because you could argue given just the complete dichotomy of how they just do not link to each other very well, even though they do because Dark Awakening is referenced within this two-parter. There is an element of, maybe just keep it to the two-parter, that you can kind of understand, but I still think they should have put Dark Awakening on those tapes. Yeah, although, I mean, again, I mean, I, I guess most of those VHS tapes, you know, they were always just two episodes, and so, you know, and... Like the, the rebirth, ironically aside, is kind of like one of the it's sort of the only real three parter that you get. I mean, I guess you had like more than meets the eye right at the start. That is like multiple, multiple parts. But I mean, U yeah. Ultimate Doom. 
and yeah, I guess yeah, yeah, and five faces of darkness. Yeah, let's just scratch that whole thing. There's quite <laughs> there's quite a lot of multiple part episodes. Um, but yeah, like typically, quite a lot of them are, are only two parters. So yeah, I mean, there, there maybe was an argument that was made there of just like we want this to stand alone as you know as as a snappy two parter to end the season and bring all the kids back for season four so it can have you know thir- another thirty episodes. Um, so yeah you got one of the numbers in that number you just said right <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um so yeah maybe, maybe there was just a sort of yeah like a, a decision that this should be a, a clean break and l- let the kids join them together if they've seen them all but otherwise yeah like if you're just watching return of Optimus prime which certainly like that that was the interesting thing for me kind of watching these episodes i knew i'd seen these episodes before as a kid i don't think i appreciated quite how many times I think I've maybe seen them because these two episodes felt like a constant state of deja vu of just remembering every scene and every little bit of this and lots of quotes and moments of like oh yeah because I don't maybe I did actually own this on VHS I didn't recall owning it but you know I recalled at least sort of renting it and watching it but maybe I had like maybe my best friend at the time who was also like massively into Transformers had it and we watched it a bunch but yeah I was kind of surprised like even compared to other episodes you know that I'd definitely seen before like the the clarity with which I remembered a lot of the scenes and what happened here was kind of surprising to me of like oh I must have actually watched this quite a few times for it to sink in that much from here we now get the start of what is going to be a very big recurring theme in this more in part one specifically but it does carry on for obvious reasons into part two Gregory, one of the two scientists that I mentioned on board the Solaris ship, it turns out that they have encountered Optimus Prime before, and we see flashbacks of when his face was scarred, and I'm putting scarred in inverted commas, because it's the equivalent of, like, if you're a child dressing up to go to, like, a a pirate-themed party and you need to have a scar drawn on your face, you have, like, the curved line with a couple of extra lines horizontal to it, that's the scar, but still, I I understand. I understand his trauma, as it were. Now, so he was scarred in a previous scuffle between Optimus Prime and talk about a throwback, Andy, because we see footage of Megatron we've never seen before. Yeah. Now, Gregory blames what happened on Optimus Prime specifically. Despite Gregory's reservations, he is talked into helping Jessica rescue Optimus Prime's body. Actually, wait, time. Andy, I feel the need to do a bit of clarification before I progress with this. Because Optimus Prime, we may have had this exact same discussion in Dark Awakening, in which case, please refer me to the archive of our podcast. (laughs) But do we just refer to him as Optimus now until he has the Matrix again? Or can we still call him Prime? Because they still refer to him as Optimus Prime occasionally. But that was part of me that wondered, do you just call him Optimus? Or is it like when you're president of the United States, you're just kind of called president forevermore sort of thing? yeah, I, I mean, because if if they're really going for that properly, and you're going with the Rodimus Prime Hot Rod comparison, he should be called Orion Pax when he's not Optimus Fair. Prime, when he doesn't have the Matrix. And given everyone still calls him Optimus, I mean, I guess I guess we still call him Optimus Prime, or Op- Optimus Subprime. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, take take your pick. But for, for this, I'm glad we've had that discussion. But for the sake of just recapping, I'll just call him either Optimus, Optimus Prime, or. I won't call him Prime, because that'll get confusing in a minute. It'll be one or the other. 
So, despite Gregory's reservations, he is talked into helping Jessica to rescue Optimus's body before the ship that his body is on collides with the planet they mentioned. Donning spacesuits and flying aboard, we see Gregory clearly has got some very deep-rooted problems with robots, let alone Transformers based on dialogue, he's saying. For example, All robots are alike, Jesse. Why do you insist on risking your life? Then we find out they've got five minutes in which to get Optimus's body off of the ship. Five minutes, Andy, which has got to be said, it's the most rapidly decreasing five minutes I've ever seen. <laughs> but I love the way they kept, like, doing something, looking at a watch, another minute had gone by. It was a really fun little montage there. Yeah, it's, it's almost a weird, why didn't they make it like, oh god, we've only got two minutes, and then they could have made it like a sort of a more real-time thing. It, sort of, it felt very strange that they picked five minutes, and then they're like, five minutes, and then they look at, back at the watch after saying that, and it's at three minutes. And it's like, I know. I mean, I guess space time dilation again. Like, I'm, I'm here to make excuses for the writers here. But yeah, time dilation <laughs> is a thing in space. So maybe, maybe they were traveling close to the speed of light or something. So they're trying to get through to five minutes. They eventually are able to move Optimus Prime's body. I will say, Andy, I don't know how gravity works on that ship, but I'm not going to question it because I did wonder that they're being very strong, but whatever. They get back to their ship, Prime's body is on there, and the now deserted ship that, that Optimus was on collides with the planet in question. And in turn, this impact also causes like a supernova of sorts. But crucially, their ship survived, which means that their experiment of that new alloy that they're testing was a success. But in the process of all this, Gregory notes that it seems that some kind of spores have appeared from the explosion. But Jessica, at this point, is pretty much just really happy and is like, Not to worry, let's go back to Earth! Upon their return to Earth, we are introduced to Jessica's father, a scientist by the name of Mark, I think it was. His name is literally mentioned once in this two-parter, Andy. Eventually I caught it, but it's mentioned once. I think at some point he's referred to by his surname. It's like, no, I need first names. That's how I roll. <laughs> That is fair. Yeah, I, I, I didn't even spot that instance. I don't think it was just like Gregory and the other guy for me. <laughs> so Mark is studying the spores and he learns, Andy, quote, These spores are definitely alive. Which just, which I thought was a, a wonderful, very simple, yet to the point quote. <laughs> But it also turns out they are incredibly contagious and are like a viral agent. And this manifests hatred. That's the exact words that are used. And destructive urges onto whoever they contaminate. Don't you see how crazy this is? Says Jessica. Get rid of those spores. Shoot them back into space. If they contaminate people, they could make World War II look like a schoolyard brawl. That was a good quote. The humans don't have long to dwell on this discovery, however, as suddenly, Andy, the Terracons just appear. Because why not? They've been sent by Galvatron to steal this heat-resistant alloy and begin attacking the lab. Soon after, the Technobots arrive. And we hear through dialogue that they're saying that it's a good job we came here because Rodimus thought that the news report on the alloy might alert the Decepticons. A fight ensues. The Decepticons including at this point combining into Abominus, overpowers the combined Computron, and the Terracons ultimately make off with the alloy. However, there was a lot of rubble and debris and falling things happening inside the building, and there were three humans inside. 
a piece of falling rubble gravely injures Jessica. Her father pretty much loses it, kind of unsurprisingly, and does not want them to help her at all because he says he can do it. And he's then caught off guard when the ambulance that Jessica is loaded into is a Transformer. I think at that point, Andy, he was sent over the edge. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. The, the interesting thing is, like, a lot of this um, kind of part of the episode draws parallels with, and, and I don't know whether this is deliberate or not, but it draws parallels with the whole circuit breaker arc of the Transformers UK comic, hmm. um, where it's a different relationship. It's like um, uh, Blackrock is kind of like this oil baron. I mean, it kind of is right there in his name. Um, but, like, basically he has this, like, genius assistant working for him who's Jesse, I think her name is, who basically it's a similar thing. She gets injured in the midst of like an Autobot Decepticon battle. I think she also she gets taken away in Ratchet, where they're like, "Oh, the ambulance is here," and they're suddenly like, "Wait, the ambulance has no driver." That was also a, a, a robot, um, and it, it, it hits on that whole arc. Kind of hits on a lot of similar themes of like uh, all the robots are the same, like you know, not identifying Autobot versus Decepticons. Um, and and then what what happens next here is also kind of similar in terms of not quite in how it it, it turns out, but you know you sort of end up with the the injured uh, party being sort of um, supplemented with technology to kind of you know allow them to, uh, to to function and to walk again. The the difference is that in Circuit Breaker's case, like she uses that she basically like wages war against all Transformers, uh, which is like for a moment here, I was like, oh, is this where we're going with this? Oh no, no, this isn't how this pans out. I remember now. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that there are some sort of broad strokes here that feel like that somebody had maybe read those comics and been like, ah, oh, there's some interesting ideas. I want to play with these in a different way. Now, I do want to also add that after... After the father, whatever his name is, is it Mark? I've totally forgotten. The father. Greg. Uh, Greg. <laughs> Gregory is the father. No, it's not. Oh, Greg, it? Greg, no, Gregory was the scientist on the ship with Jessica. Oh, okay. And uh, this is good. this is already a problem if we're losing this. <laughs> um, Jessica's father, Mark. That's how I wrote it down. Okay, so there we go. So he did have a very great quote, which ironically, he actually name checks Gregory. But he said, after what happened, I hate them, Gregory. I hate them all! <laughs> And then Gregory follows up as he's reaching down by some rubble with the following. Look, we're not helpless. We can get even with them. We can use the spores, make the robots hate and destroy each other. Remember, we have their leader. We have the body of Optimus Prime. When we're done, the new Optimus Prime won't be the Autobot's leader. He'll be their destroyer. Through a montage of various scenes, we then see Gregory and Jessica's father, Mark, I'm going to keep referring to him as that now, working on Optimus. And this is counterpointed with scenes of Jessica seemingly in the operating room being worked on by doctors and such at the hospital, trying to ascertain how bad her injuries are. Fast forwarding to the end of said montage, Jessica's father seemingly was never told that Jessica is now awake from all the stuff that she's been going through, which I think is a little bit harsh, Andy. That, that That's a human error right there. Yeah, yeah, there are definitely some, some healthcare questions around how this whole thing was handled, for sure. But how he feels about the entire situation is exacerbated when he suddenly learns that Jessica was paralysed from the waist down in the accident we spoke about a few moments ago, and now needs a special exosuit, as it's framed, of sorts, to walk. And this basically just being like, effectively like leg braces, but she can walk with them. Jessica, that said, 
is grateful to them for making her able to walk again. She's looking at the positive side of this. Which, you know, fair play to her. The Autobots themselves also admit that they thought that Jessica's father, Mark, would be pleased by this. His response? Pleased? At my daughter becoming a blasted machine? You're coming home with me right now. So to pause there for a second, because I want—I did want to get a thought about your Circuit Breaker story there, but I wanted to make sure we sort of got to that point in my notes and such. It is cool that that technology is a thing in Transformers, be it in comics and in the cartoon, because it's just a cool little extra detail that we've never really had a, mentioned or elaborated before, but it makes total sense that something like that would be part of it. And I also really like... I like, I mean, I mentioned, I said the word counterpoint during the, the montage, but I like that that is the counterpoint to all the anger and frustration that Gregory and Mark are currently having towards the Autobots. It's it's like a nice, the human dynamic, that's what I'm going to use, is working really well in this episode. And we saw it a couple of episodes ago when, when Scourge became the Matrix holder for a, a, a hot minute when the humans in Japan were getting really annoyed at the Transformers then, there's been little elements of this creeping in, and this almost feels like the culmination of that in quite a big way. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, like I said in that Scourge episode, like, it it makes sense, right, that, I mean, and, and A, there's sort of a little bit of a sort of, like, racism analogy of just, like, oh, they're all the same kind of thing that it clearly plays with, but, you know, it would make sense that if, there were a bunch of robots, you know, roaming around the earth and trashing things from time to time, that there would be a decent subset of people who would not care about what insignias they had or who was on what side. It's just like, well, they're both wrecking everything. Um, and so, yeah, like, I, I always like it when Transformers plays with that, because um, I think it is, like, an interesting story beat. And, yeah, like, th this, this is... This is handled in quite an interesting way where you have that kind of dichotomy between, you know, Jessica and her father in terms of how they both look at this. Like, the the tech side is sort of interesting because obviously this is, like, 2006, so it's not really made clear whether this is a... It's made to feel like this is kind of an unusual thing that's, like, a, a Transformers designed this kind of thing. Um, but it's like, you know, we've seen exosuits in Transformers before. You'd imagine that they would be in relatively broad use if they'd sort of like given it to healthcare facilities and things um but yeah and, and i mean that's also the interesting thing in terms of where this diverges from like the the circuit breaker storyline because in that storyline a firstly like circuit breakers outfit is made by herself rather than by any transformers so she kind of like you know she's the genius that makes it herself and be like she's the one that has the hatred for all transformers whereas it's like you know her sort of father figure boss who's the one who's like no that's not how this went down like this or this was the decepticons did this to you not the transformers as a whole and she's just like shut up all the robots are the same so it's kind of a role reversal as far as that goes but yeah i, I always think this kind of storyline is quite is quite interesting um and it, it plays with it quite smartly kind of even beyond this point um as as you know as things uh things unfold Back at the lab, we discover that Gregory and Jessica's father Mark's efforts of reviving Optimus Prime's body have turned out to be completely pointless. They can't make it work. So they decide, Andy, that they won't waste the materials they have, i.e. Optimus's body, and instead they'll use it to make more of the alloy by putting his body into an incinerator. At which point, 
Cue Jessica screaming wildly at the thought of this, which I then thought, this must be echoing the already scarred children from having PTSD from watching Transformers the movie as we cut to an ad break. <laughs> I, I think that's the part that's the funniest about this is, yeah, we just cut to commercials. It's like, yep, we're, we're killing your hero yet again. We're smelting him down this time. Um, by the by the way, why not buy this Optimus Prime toy? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of incredible. I, I, I assume by this point, like, the... As children of like 1986 would just kind of, you know, we were desensitized to Optimus Prime's constant demise and and trauma, and we're probably just like, yeah, that's fine. It's not the worst thing that's happened to him, so carry on. We saw him as a zombie, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we saw him falling to bits, you know, yesterday. If you were watching this on US TV, so you know what's <laughs> what's being melted down, really. Jessica implores them to stop, citing the fact that without the Autobots, she actually can't walk, and the fact it's their leader is actually a pretty big deal. Gregory and Mark decide to use that to their advantage, and to use Optimus Prime as bait to lure the other Autobots. Mark forces Jessica to lure the Autobots, or any Autobot for that matter as it's actually phrased, into a spore trap at their lab by telling them that their leader's body is there. No, I can't, says Jessica. Dad, it's wrong. The Autobots aren't our enemies. Mark responds with, they aren't? Look at Gregory's face. Look at your legs. They're paralyzed because of those metal menaces. No, I'm not wrong, honey. You are. Do what I say because I'm your father and you know I'm right. It's a line, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's such a great ending to to the argument of just like, well, I'm your dad, so therefore I'm right by default. And it's like, well, okay then. <laughs> it's like talking to us, Jessica's not a small child, but it's like talking to a small child and just you just play, I'm your dad. You just play that card, and yeah. it's the end of all argument. That's the funny thing, yeah, because I, I mean, I, we, we never get kind of name checks exactly how old Jessica is, but she seems like she's in her twenties or something as well. It's not even like she's your kind of typical sort of like young teenage character who's like, well, okay, yeah, your parents will like have that kind of sway over you, to, but to play the like, I'm your dad and do you do what I say, given her age and her kind of like credentials, is is a little bit, a little bit much. Yeah, I tried a quick glance at the TF wiki. There's no na- no age check, excuse me, on her, so. There we go. Jessica ends this conversation with her father by saying, All right, I'll do it, but I hate it. I just hope I don't also learn to hate you. Which is a good comeback. comeback, Right? (laughs) (laughs) At Autobot City, Jessica is taken by Magnus to meet Rodimus, who we see is talking to a statue that we've never seen before, but apparently it's probably always been there for all we know, of Optimus Prime where he says the following. Why do I keep seeing you in my dreams, Optimus? Are you telling me I'm not the leader you were? (sighs) I already know that, Optimus. I always have. (laughs) It's like, I see. On the scale of what side of the coin are we with a Rodimus Prime at the moment in terms of his psyche? We're at this end of the spectrum today. Okay. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, that's kind of the end of the spectrum we've been at for pretty much all of season three. So it's not, not, <laughs> not any surprise. I, I was a little worried for a moment that we were going to go into like, why do I keep seeing you in my dreams, Optimus? You're, you're so sexy. You're so dreamy. <laughs> you're in all my fantasies. And it's like, oh no, this is not, this is not the return of Optimus Prime we wanted. 
Or part of it's just like, maybe it's because you keep deep diving into the Matrix, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if you will try and commit suicide to become one with the Matrix, you know, maybe maybe that's going to affect your dreams. <laughs> Magnus arrives with Jessica, who says the following. It says to Rodimus specifically, You've been so kind, and I owe you so much. To which Rodimus responds with, You were hurt. We were trying to help. Jessica says, I know, but my father doesn't. He wants me to betray the Autobots. How? says Rodimus. We intercepted Optimus's ship before that star went Nova. We... And Rodimus interrupts with, What are you saying? Is... Optimus alive? Jessica responds with, No. But my father has... (laughs) (laughs) But my father has his body in his lab. That was actually genuinely like, you timed it perfectly. It was also timed pretty well in, in episode of just like, he's alive? Like, no. It's like, <laughs> it's like oh. it, it, you could tell in that moment, Rodimus was all but ready to just like rip the Matrix out of his body. Like, right, <laughs> g- give him that, please, because I'm done here. <laughs> Rodimus immediately insists, despite knowing full well this is a trap, that they recover Optimus. He doesn't care that it's a trap and summons the aerial bots, the protector bots, the throttle bots. Who? Don't know, but that's the only time we see them. Blur, Wheelie, Bumblebee, and Steeljaw. Andy, off the top of your head, do you know anything about the throttle bots? Yeah, I had a bunch of the throttle bots. They, they were kind of like, they got released. They, they must around the time this episode aired <laughs> clearly um <laughs> but yeah they they were kind of like a generation almost of the, the sort of like you know of your sort of bumblebee and cliff jumper ilk of sort of relatively cheap toys the, the they were basically did the whole thing they were sort of kind of wind up like you could drag them back and they you know they, they do they do the thing um which hence the name but yeah i remember those being weirdly popular at my school like all the transformers fans in my school had various throttle bots and i remember getting into trouble for swapping some of them um and one of my friend's parents getting very upset because they bought a specific throttle bot for their child and i swapped it for because i wanted it and they wanted one that i had um and that is my deep psyche of despair around the throttle bots that was not your question but i thought i'd mention it anyway hang on i think i need to clarify this story so you wanted a throttle bot that your friend had your friend wanted a throttle bot that you had you swapped them your friend was upset and so the parent was upset because you had done that no just just my friend's parents were upset because they'd specifically right. bought him that okay. toy as like a gift and were just like felt that it was it was a little it, it was a little off that he just like gave it away because there's one he wanted but he wanted more but I I, <laughs> I, I I wanted wide load he wanted chase it seemed like everyone was gonna be happy but that was it was it was not to be um, and yeah so that's the main reason I remember the throttle butts I guess is because of that that whole imbroglio which was quite a thing for a, a couple of days there there were lots of like parental phone calls and apologies and all sorts it was it was, like, it was it was a whole thing so here's a little pop quiz for you how many throttle bots can you name i've got um, the list in front of me god yeah i mean i remember wide load and chase correct i can't i'm trying to remember whether gold bug was actually a throttle bot as well i can't i think is listed here i'll say yeah, that yeah he was i can't remember 
was there one like freeway or freeloader or something i can't freeway remember. correct freeway oh, there we go yeah those are the only ones i can i could recall off the top of my head okay we've also according to the tf wiki got roll bar and searchlight oh yeah yeah i think yeah i think one of my friends had roll bar and yeah nobody nobody ever had searchlight so but, no. but also go. more confusingly also note on here there is simply one called throttle bot which is a helicopter Oh, okay. That's yeah. That is that, <laughs> that that is that is very confusing. But uh, but yeah, yeah. I I almost forgotten that that Goldbug was also one of the throttle bots because yeah, we will we will talk about Goldbug later. Indeed. Uh, also worth noting that just for archival purposes, Goldbug it is said here in some universes is his own individual. Yeah, that's a whole confusing thing. But not not <laughs> not in this continuity. <laughs> we shall move on then, I suppose. Now, this conversation that we saw between Jessica and Rodimus, worth noting that we, the viewer, see that Ratbat is lurking nearby, spying, doing what Ratbat does best, just like Ravage did back in the day. Upon arrival at the lab, Rodimus finally comes across like a leader, actually issuing commands for all of his comrades and whatnot, saying what he wants to do and what the plan is going to be. He and Jessica enter and inside they just see that optimus's body is just lying by a wall like he's drunk quite frankly that's what i wrote down and immediately head over to him this is when they realize the trap isn't with the body of optimus it's elsewhere for their comrades this is when we then see ultra magnus the aerial bots and more inside of a locked room of sorts with a viewing window becoming infected by the spores which are being pumped in via an air vent and such. Now, the way that they emphasize that someone has been infected is just that their entire body turning red. It's a very easy way to know. Very, very good. So they literally turn red and start fighting each other. Realizing what may happen next, Rodimus and Jessica focus on retrieving Optimus's body as the action begins to spill outside. At this point, we see Superion going after Defensor and Magnus going after Rodimus. And I say Magnus is going after Rodimus. I haven't noted down very many of the quotes he said, Andy, but holy crap, if there was ever a day to really get inside the personality of Ultra Magnus as to how he really feels about Rodimus and everything he's been doing, holy cow, there were some wonderful lines of dialogue from Magnus. Yeah, this, this definitely felt like once you reach this point... I feel like there's a few actors here that had just been getting a bit bored of playing Goody Two Shoes Autobots and were like, oh, I get to be evil in this one? Great. And like Ultra Magnus above all else, the line deliveries of all those are, are with such relish of being like, I'm evil Ultra Magnus. Ha ha ha. And it's like, good on you. You're having a good time. I'm 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 here for this as well. Now, pause for a second, because while this is happening, I mentioned Rat Bat. We see that Ratpat, Ratbat elsewhere, excuse me, has reported to the Decepticons, to, specifically to Soundwave, who really sounded like he needed a cough sweet, just saying, about Optimus Prime's recovery as well. And at this exact moment, now, where we are in the scene with Rodimus and co, this is when the Decepticons arrive and look to terminate the former Autobot leader permanently. But instead, they get infected themselves, everyone, everyone barring Galvatron. Now, at this point, Rodimus refers to this as the Madness Plague, which I think was a pretty cool name for it, actually, but it will change again in a couple of scenes' time, so don't get used to that one, everybody. 
Now, at first, when Rodimus explains to Galvatron what is going on, Galvatron naturally doesn't believe him, then rapidly does. But this is the line that Rodimus says at his initial reaction, that being to Galvatron's reaction. Fine, whatever makes you a happy Decepticon, just watch your rear thrusters. Nice little quip from Rob there. He, he's on form today. Now that Optimus is involved, he's like, oh, I might be able to finally just give up this Matrix and be done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've not, 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 not had any Springer for a while, so somebody's got somebody's to bring the quips. So, you know. Ultimately, Rodimus, Jessica, and Galvatron managed to escape unharmed. The former of the two with Optimus's body, and a few other Autobots managed to escape infection as well, but are badly wounded while attempting to subdue a uh, a pretty rampaging superion nearby in a city by a bridge. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the, the things that, as a kid, and I think even watching this today, like, really sells you on this concept of, like, everybody getting infected with this madness plague is, like, given that one of the first... the first to succumb is, like, a combiner, and that's just, like, a oh no, this isn't going to end well. Like, it's not just kind of the little guys, the sort of, you know, the the, the, the small fries. It's like straight away you're getting massive robots that are just going to go on a complete rampage. And it's like, it really sells you on, like, the dire straits from minute one of like, oh, these are not the Transformers that you would want to be infected with this thing. This is not good. Yeah, it really ups the stakes and really puts into perspective everything. And in some ways, given the writing team that we've got on this two-parter, it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of the comic writing influences come into that of how do you put across a villain or whatever the big bad is for this particular story. Yeah. And you really need to up that ante. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting actually because, you know, one of my my thoughts like rewatching this episode is this is the kind of storyline that I'm always a bit of a sucker for. Of like Again, we've talked about this in the past where you have the sort of everyone has to join forces because there's a problem that's bigger than any individual faction, which I always enjoy. But also the kind of, you know, there's a sort of rampaging disease that is just like striking out at everybody that I always like. And watching this episode, I realised that might have actually come from watching this story for the first time when I was a kid. That it was like, oh wow, this is like a really big deal and, you know, it really it really has a kind of tension to it because it's, you know, you get touched, you're done. Like, it's not even the kind of like, you know, your typical zombie thing of like, oh, you know, you've got a certain amount of time. It's like, as soon as anybody makes contact with you that is infected, that's it, you're used to come as well um and so yeah there are really high stakes and, and and some of this is also down to the animation where there are really good shots where like somebody almost manages to lay a hand on like optimus or rodimus or somebody and you're just like you kind of visibly tense like oh are they gonna oh just got away with that and like it really yeah all of that tension is really well kind of played out right the way through kind of these two episodes um in a way that you know, Transformers, due to its running time and various things, it's it's difficult to have real dramatic tension. Um, and you know, it's like the um, the, like Megatron's master plan where they fired all the Autobots into the sun. Like that yep. was an, that was an episode that, that did it really well in terms of like you know that the Autobots aren't all gonna die in the sun, but you know it it, it makes you believe of like oh, this is gonna happen. This is it. 
Um, and this is another good episode of just like it. There are points where it feels like it's intractable and there's no way back. And it's like, no, this is how do you how do you fix this problem? This is this is impossible. You're gonna get overrun. Um, and it's really good at making it compelling because it always has that tension to it. Yeah, it, it, I'm trying to think of the way to phrase this. I actually compare this when you think about it as this being a children's cartoon and such. This is basically playing a game of tag or it in the playground. Yeah. Literally, because instantly you're on the other team as soon as you're it. Yeah, yeah, and that's I think that's a nice thing as well. Yeah, like, it's easily understandable. Again, it's it's a thing that sometimes this kind of storyline does... Not wrong, necessarily, but, you know, there are a whole bunch of rules and kind of get-outs and things. Whereas this, yeah, like, it's very simple. Like you say, it is a kid's game of, like, yeah, tag your it. Um, and that that just makes it far more immediate. You don't have to explain it to anybody. Again, the whole turning red visual language like is super powerful for that as well because it's like there's no there's there's not even any of that like oh are they or aren't they? It's like you know, you you, know, you can tell straight away. Um, apart from I think one or two shots where they miscolored characters, but that's a whole other <laughs> other, other story. Um, but yeah, like everything about it is just like the visual language of it is really strong as well. We then go to Autobot City, where Rodimus pleads with Rekgar, who, gotta be said, is in full movie quote mode at this point. Holy cow, there's some great dialogue. Is pleading with Rekgar to try and repair Optimus Prime, but. But Rekgar says that Prime is too far gone even for Junkion medical experience. This kind of summed up perfectly, Andy, by the line of, I'm a doctor, not a forklift. <laughs> Which, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed. But yeah, it's, it's, it's good to know, like, having seen them put together like a completely exploded to smithereens Ultra Magnus, that there is a point where you're too far gone for the Junkions just to glue you back together. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it, it's probably because he's been a zombie, you know? Yeah, well, that's the thing. You could argue there's, like, a time frame there, right? Of, like, Ultra Magnus had been, like, you know, blown up for, like, five minutes, whereas, you know, Optimus Prime had been dead for, like, a year plus, you know, not including zombie time. And also been reprogrammed by the Quintessons as well, so that's probably yeah, a whole pro dealia bob as well. Probably probably doesn't help. In a desperate... this. This now being a desperate situation, Rodimus contacts Skylinks and orders him to locate and bring back a Quintesson, who, based on dialogue from Skylinks, we hear that they are hiding in the far reaches of the galaxy. It's not especially elaborated why at this point, but that will become clear as we go on. And the reason is because, Rodimus quite rightly says, that he remembers that they had restored Optimus to life once before. He then sets about disconnecting Metroplex to keep the city from becoming infected. However, just as he is finishing the final steps to do so, we see in the reflection of the monitor an infected Ultra Magnus appearing. And we get that moment you just mentioned, Andy, about him trying to tag Rodimus but just missing. Kind of little get game of tag and it there. And we get a pretty fun sequence where Magnus is just going whole hog on the dialogue trying to get hold of Rodimus. Is temporarily subdued by Rekgar thanks to some rope, but ends up becoming infected, and at the same time, ultimately infects Rodimus as well. Now, one of the great lines of dialogue from Magnus throughout this little melee, I wanted to write it down because I laughed so hard. I can't do it perfectly, but I'm going to try and encapsulate the feeling in the moment of it, Andy. 
<clears throat> you can't escape, Rodimus. I can track your gas fumes anywhere. <laughs> Which sounded kind of creepy and stalkery, to be honest. It's I like, know, right? Talking about like the inner Ultra Magnus is like I'll follow you anywhere, Rodimus. <laughs> um, which is a little, a little bit weird. But uh, yeah, like also kudos, like uh, again, vivid memories of this as a kid has been like my favorite line from Retgar of like I'm a pepper wouldn't you like to be a pepper too as he touches Rodimus <laughs> Prime which is absolutely fantastic and I think even as a kid I didn't realize that was like a, a US Dr. Pepper ad thing um but later was it that, really I yeah. didn't realize I just thought for like a, a red pepper yeah no it's like it was the, the Dr. Pepper kind of like slogan slash song from the 80s was like um I'm a pepper you're a pepper he's a pepper she's a pepper wouldn't you like to be a pepper too um, which also gets referenced in the movie Short Circuit, which was like one of my favourite movies as a kid. Um, and so, yeah, the, the the circle of life slash Dr Pepper um, in in one thing. But it's like it's such a it's such a perfect line for that, given that they're turning red. And somebody must have been really pleased with themselves when they came up with like what what does Redgar say? Like what's a good like movie or TV quote for this? And someone's like, I I got the one for you. <laughs> We then fast forward in the story a little bit. We get a news report from a TV station, KSUN, for anyone that's curious, now referring to what has happened as the hate plague. We've upped the ante on the wording here. And apparently it has spread like wildfire across the planet. But to humans as well. We see scenes of chaos and destruction unfolding in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere around the world. The plague has even managed to make its way off-world, sending the Quintessons into hiding. Now, it should be said, the news report didn't say that, but that's where we find out the Quintessons are in hiding. Because we then joined Skylinks, finding a Quintesson being chased by a bunch of infected Sharktacons, and effectively does a bit of a barter of, I'll save you, if you can revive Optimus Prime, please. And then the Quintesson effectively goes, Fine, sure, just get me out of here! Yeah, I do. I do have a question as to how this plague got off world. Like, we never really get to see or, or comprehend how that has happened. Um, again, I guess you could argue the spores were just everywhere. But then it's like, well, maybe the whole Optimus Prime plotline was not required because it would have just spread anyway. Because <laughs> um, yeah, that's never clear. Especially given that they're in the deepest reaches of the galaxy. It's like, well, I don't know. I don't know quite how this happened. There's some kind of like super spreader event, clearly, but. I mean, the Sharktacons are effectively the grunts in Transformers lore, right? So yeah. maybe they just... Someone just like, like you said, was at like a spreader event and just kind of got ill and eventually felt bad. Yeah, yeah. One of the Sharktacons was at a Transformers convention, like, touched, you know, somebody else. And yeah, before you knew it, the whole of the Quintesson planet also infected. <laughs> the Quintesson warns that should anything go too awry during the process of trying to revive Optimus, that there is a good chance that he will never live again. And then in one of the more funny moments, like, the, the Quintesson... Optimus Prime's body is effectively, like, on a table. And the Quintesson is, like, fine-tuning Optimus. And there's a moment where... I think it's one of his arms just suddenly punches Skylinks in the face, and Skylinks just goes flying. <laughs> it's just a really fun moment. And then suddenly as well... Optimus Prime is lying flat, and then his legs are just suddenly at 90 degrees pointing up. <laughs> and the Quintesson just goes, legs are operative. 
Yeah, yeah, th- that that whole <laughs> montage is actually a pretty good little bit of comic relief because yeah, there's another bit where like the Quinston's like, oh, you know, give me more power, and then like Skylinks just cranks the power up and like Optimus Prime just starts catching fire. He's just like, <laughs> no, not that. That's too much power. Um, and yeah, that that whole bit is actually surprisingly. It's almost one of those surprise that Hasbro signed off on it kind of things. Cause it's like you're messing around with Optimus Prime here and just making him do all this goofy stuff and catch fire. Like I this this feels like the sort of thing that would get disapproved potentially but they just they, they went with it and yeah it, it's quite it's quite enjoyable after all the serious fare just like yeah okay we, we can have a bit of goofing around time here too mm. we then see the body of optimus prime on a chair of some kind where he'll seemingly be juiced up with power as you were just alluding to it's touch and go for a while but eventually the quintesson manages to pull through and Optimus Prime is fully restored to life, declaring, quote-unquote, no force in the universe can stop me. Yeah, it's like, it's like Jesus, a bit boastful, aren't you? I mean, you've been dead for the last year, right? Nobody can stop me. It's like, I think Megatron did, but okay. <laughs> so, we'll get on to how that ended in a second, but it's just occurred to me what you were saying, that you were surprised that Hasbro signed off on that scene. It makes you wonder what their mindset was really like come the time that the, this particular two-parter was being written. Because we talked about it on the, the podcast we did with the movie where they didn't realise just how beloved Optimus actually was as a character to everyone who was a Transformers fan. And then when you think about it in that context as well, what they did to him in Dark Awakening is also pretty harrowing and quite a quite a quite a screwy thing to do with the kid's mind as well when it comes to their perception of Optimus Prime. In some ways, Optimus Prime did always have that little moment of relief and calm. And I think that was like the moment you get in this episode because you know Optimus would have just been like, come on, use the right amount of power. (laughs) You can sort of imagine what his own reaction to it would have been. Yeah, I, I think this is also why this actually works pretty well as a two-parter because, yeah, you you have all the kind of tension of, like, this whole thing is running completely out of control and, like, nobody can stop it. Like, Rodimus Prime is, is gone now. He's, you know, away with the, the angry fairies. He's failed. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, let's just say, yeah, he messed up again. Um, so, but, you know, it, it is kind of like, there is this almost soothing point of just like, oh, well, Optimus Prime's back now. He'll fix it. Um, and, and it kind of, it works quite well, but yeah, I mean, the, the Hasbro mindset thing. Yeah. I mean, this was very much, cause that's the interesting thing, right? Is that the Optimus Prime toy did return because they brought out Power Master Optimus Prime, but that didn't happen until after this episode was created and aired. So like I had a weird sort of recollection in my head was like, oh, well this was, you know, to sell the new toy, but actually no, like this happened way before that. I think weirdly like because we got everything on a delay in the UK it's sort of like almost rolled around to being a like hey you can buy a new Optimus Prime toy thing like I think they use like an image of Power Master Optimus Prime on the front of a lot of the VHS tapes and what have you. Remember the tape in earlier in the podcast run that I showed? Yeah yeah so you know that is sort of weirdly ended up coming to pass but obviously this is not Power Master Optimus Prime this is just OG Optimus Prime um, and so yeah this was very much a like sorry kids <laughs> we're really sorry we killed your hero uh, we've brought him back please forgive us kind of thing more of a mere culpa to that than actually a toy sale thing um which is sort of you know kind of kind of 
kind of crazy that they felt, you know, especially so long later, right? Because it's been like a year plus since the movie aired at this point, but they were clearly still very much of the mindset of like, we need to bring this character back. Um, which, you know, says a lot about Optimus Prime's kind of stature and place in these things, I suppose. Yeah, having just quickly looked at the date on the TF Wiki, this episode aired on, like, February the 24th, 1987. So when did the movie come out? Bear with me a second. Yeah, because that was, like, summer 86, wasn't it? So we're kind of... So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's not so long, is it, really? It's kind of, like, more like almost six, seven months. August 86, it says. Yeah, so... According, yeah. To, the, according to regular wiki. <laughs> yeah so so yeah so i mean that's that's i guess not quite such a long time frame like the, the trauma was maybe still real at that, at that stage but also it goes to show when you think in in tv production terms though that must have been a very quick decision to turn that around if they needed to write the story and then animate it yeah i mean it, it that does almost make me wonder whether there's a little bit of kind of like urban myth there and that they always intended to bring him back and and you know it was just it was just the the, the way that it it, it it was um because either way you know I, mean, I imagine even before they brought out a new version of him it was probably a perennial toy seller and so somebody would probably be like well you know are we really going to sell this many ultra magnuses and rodimus primes compared to this guy maybe we should bring him back at some point but uh, yeah i don't know it's uh it's, it's it's a fascinating thing nonetheless to yeah to have a character so beloved and kill them in the first place and then bring them back again i mean didn't you say earlier in our podcast run that magnus was just like a recolored optimus so maybe i just thought we've got all these molds here can we just do an optimus prime toy yeah well yeah i mean the the, the cab part of the ultra magnus toy was just white optimus prime um and obviously like the rest of his kind of you know i don't say people carry not people carry his like car carrier <laughs> mode um was um they didn't even have people carriers there um but um but yeah the rest of his like car carrier was unique but the actual kind of you know main white body of ultra magnus yeah was was just optimus prime's mold in a slightly different in a different color so yeah i mean there's probably also that that it wasn't too difficult to retool and then just like knock out some more optimus prime toys but then they just went and remade him as power master prime anyway so mm. so we probably could have decided this before we started recording but do we want to delve into the tf wiki for this episode or do both of them in one go at the end yeah let's we're, 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 we're just shooting the breeze now anyway so let's let's talk about this episode from see see what what information we can glean uh, funnily enough following on from what we were just talking about courtesy of the tf wiki apparently the first draft of this script was completed in november of 86 so not very long at all, actually. Yeah, yeah. So that is quite a quick, uh, quick turnaround. Thousands of letters and screaming children later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Continuity notes, seemingly thrown in at the last moment. The Throttlebots make their debut. They're only visible in a handful of shots. Roll bar is missing, and none of them are identified by name. Yeah. We have corrected that. <laughs> <laughs> So, the two scientists must have spent spent one hell of a long time repairing Optimus Prime if they managed to retrieve him from the Quintesson's detonator all the way back to Dark Awakening. Either that, or Optimus died before his ship hit the detonator, and his ship drifted precariously off course for the last several months. Yeah, let's go with that, I suppose. <laughs> it's not clear what Rodimus means by disconnecting Metroplex. He apologises as though it's a terrible thing, leading to some fans to speculate that he was shutting him down for good. 
but he later says that Metroplex is safe, implying that he's just separated somehow. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'd assume that, yeah, like, you can just sort of put him in standby, basically, and, yeah. you know, then, then then it's okay. I mean, I mean, worse things have happened to Metroplex. Like, let's remember, his eyes got stolen the other, the other episode. <laughs> so, you know, he's, he's not, he's not, doesn't have the best of times in the city mode anyway. The hate play can apparently infect any creature, both purely mechanical and biological. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that is, that is made clear. I have no idea how the science of that works, but we'll, we'll run with it. Unicron magic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Autobots are implied to have created the exosuit for Jessica so she can walk again. Hmm. One wonders if this technology could have been useful before now. And do you want to know what the hyperlink is to, Andy? Is it to Chip Chase's? <laughs> Correct. Because, <laughs> yeah, fair, fair, fair point. I mean, again, you've got to assume that this was like a 2005-era invention and not like a 1985-era invention. So I'll, I'll, I'll give them that one. Like, I think it, it feels very clear that this was a recent thing. And, I mean, you know, like, Earthlings have spaceships and travel in deep space and all sorts now, which they didn't in the original 85 series. So, you know, technology has progressed in 20 years. Even though it occurs in a flashback, this is technically the last appearance of Megatron in the original American series. Yes, yeah, that is true. Real world references. Uh, first of all, they say Jessica mentions World War Two. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's probably the, the, the... I don't know, maybe it's not even the first time that's been referenced in Transformers, but yeah, certainly a rare, a rare occurrence. The TF Wiki has a has a page dedicated to World War Two. I have you know. Yeah, it's, it's important. <laughs> so, quickly glancing at the page on the TF Wiki for World War Two, in fairness, and this is correct, it is alluded to that in the Starscream's Brigade episode, where he creates his own little army, that they are from old war vehicles. So yeah, yeah. it's actually probably the second time it's been mentioned. Yeah, yeah, that was that was maybe what I was thinking about. Like, I, I felt like there'd been at least some oblique reference to it. So, so there you go. There we go. Now, courtesy of Rekgar, some of those quotes that we were mentioning. Lucy, Lucy, what have you done now? Is a reference to I love Lucy. I'm a doctor, not a forklift. And he's dead, Jim. Obviously quotes from Star Trek. Similarly... His engines, they kind of take the strain, comes from another Star Trek character, Scotty, of course. Uh, like you said, I'm a Pepper, wouldn't you like to be a Pepper too? is a reference to an old Dr. Dr. Pepper ad campaign from the late 70s to early 80s. And then it also says here, a couple of the infection rioting scenes seem to portray Washington, D.C. Humans are shown rioting badly drawn at a badly drawn Lincoln Memorial. The monument that Defensor throws may be intended to be the Washington Monument, though it's awfully stumpy and shouldn't be and shouldn't have and shouldn't have shouldn't have a projecting cap on top. Uh, he throws it into a classically styled building. Another common DC element. Continuity errors. Right. <clears throat> More or less, the entire episode is a massive continuity ever. Uh, error, excuse me. As it purports to picking up at the end of Optimus Prime's last prior appearance in Dark Awakening, yet actually presents entirely different conditions. In the prior episode, Optimus Prime has lost 
half an has lost an arm and half of his face on top of his long-standing physical damage still left from the animated movie, but was still alive as he managed to steer the ship at high speed through the heavy fire of a massed Quintesson space fleet, deliberately ramming at a detonator that caused a binary supernova and obliterated the ship and the entire solar system around it. I don't think I'd grasp that's how much damage it did, Andy, until now, but sure. <laughs> Uh, yet in this new episode, Optimus Prime is shown completely intact, albeit dead, as his completely different ship drifts slowly and alone through the system. Some of these inconsistencies could be attributed to the fact that Dark Awakening was animated by Acom and this episode by Toei. So, elsewhere... The original script addressed the events of Dark Awakening right down to his severely damaged state. It included sequences in which he was repaired by the two scientists in order to weaponize him with the spores. Interestingly enough, there were also scenes showing Rodimus Prime experiencing nightmares playing out in the Celestial Autobot tomb, where he encountered his zombified predecessor. For some reason, most likely running time, these scenes did not make it into the final episode. Hmm. Yeah, it, it does almost feel like they were worried about it being too dark as well from all of that mm. and decided maybe they need to, to lighten the tone a little bit. So remember how Jessica and Gregory detected life signs on board the ship and it was Optimus Prime? I do, indeed. Optimus Prime at that point is dead. Yeah. Yeah, again, not sure not sure how that works, but... Trivia. The resurrection of Optimus Prime in the show was a direct result of children's reactions to his death in Transformers the movie and subsequent letters, as acknowledged by a Hasbro exec in a 1986 newspaper article. He didn't even have a toy on the shelves, which changed in 1988 with the release of Power Master Optimus Prime. Apparently, Jessica in this show, Jessica Morgan, the full name, is named after co-writer Marv Wolfman's daughter. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Hopefully he, he's a better dad to the actual Jessica than in, in, uh, in episode dad. So. <laughs> when Rodimus wants to put together a team to pick up a dead body from a couple of humans, he doesn't mess around, does he? No, I mean, it's, uh, that that was actually like, you know, I mean, Throttlebots aside, that was a really interesting set of kind of name checks because it's not very often you get that big roll call of, I'm going to name all of these characters. Um, and again, like foreshadowing with like Bumblebee, it's like, when's he been called on to do anything in like season three? Um, but uh, yeah, it's quite it's quite the, the party. Like you could have just taken Cup or somebody and done with it. I will add... Given so, the likelihood that chances are a lot of kids may not have watched Transformers for a while, one might say. So, one would assume if they're gonna watch this two parter, what's a great way to try and sell them toys? I know by name checking as many as we can in the space of 20 seconds. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this episode definitely feels like you know, I mean, I know we've had a whole bunch of the kind of um you know the uh terracons etc etc recently but yeah it definitely it, it it felt specifically like you know especially when it came to like superior and defense or that it's like they were they were brought in because we want to sell as many of the combiners that are available as possible and finally foreign localization which no doubt this will bleed into episode two as well pretty much every language was the return of optimus prime only differences to note 
are the in Mandarin, apparently it's the literal translation is Optimus Prime Resurrects Part One. Okay. <laughs> and obviously, because Japan Optimus Prime is known differently, it was the Resurrection of Convoy Part One. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of is interesting they go with resurrection and not just return, but I, perhaps in America that would have not played so well, so I can understand why. Fair they, point. I when, had not considered that. Yeah, they may not have wanted to go down that route. So, before we move on to the second episode, then Andy, any other notes or any other thoughts on this episode as a whole? Because in terms of setting up a story... For like a two-parter, like we've always lamented how there are many episodes that could definitely have been spread out into a two-parter. This was a great setup for what was to come. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good episode. Um, I, I like a, liked a, a lot of this. Like I said, I was I was surprised how much of it I just sort of remembered um, from from like prior viewings. But yeah, like it's it's a lot of stuff that I enjoy, um, and it's like yeah, it's. It kind of sells you on the whole Optimus Prime angle, like, pretty well, like, despite its sort of inconsistencies, it kind of, you know, it brings everything to the point where it feels like it makes sense for the Autobots to want to bring him back, and it's like, okay, cool, you've you've actually, you've found a compelling reason to do this and not a just because um so yeah f fair play to you, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good episode, and you know, a, a really good kind of cliffhangers kind of slash you know final moment of it's just like oh okay here we go optimus prime has returned what what happens now find out tomorrow kids <laughs> i now as we advance to season three episode 30 the final episode of season three of transformers g1 the return of optimus prime part two we begin within the confines of Autobot City, where Optimus Prime has been fully restored to life by Skylinks and the Quintesson that we were talking about a few moments ago. While the rampant hate plague is infecting the universe, Prime demands to know what has happened during his time on the other side, I guess is one way to put it. Skylinks then recaps the events from part one for inevitably all the children that didn't see part one. Gotta say, Andy, it was actually a pretty good recap that was really concise and was really good fun just having Skylinks narrating it as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, I, I feel like maybe Skylinks is like voice actor and sort of a, was doing double duty or had asked like, oh, can you throw me some more hours for this? Because he voices like one of the scientists as well. Like, does he voice Gregory oh, or wow. one of them? Yeah, like it's there's a point where it's very definitely like, Skylinks, is that you? Because it sounds a lot like him. So, <laughs> so maybe, maybe he was just like hanging out and just needed needed some extra some extra minutes on mic. And they're like, yeah, can you do the <laughs> recap as well? Because, you know, that'd be handy. It's like, sure thing! <laughs> yeah. Prime's first concern after he has been told everything that's happened is how are his com is how are his comrades, excuse me, and learns that the Autobots are either injured after battling Superion, noting that some of them are beyond repair, or they are infected. Prime's first call then is to bring back those injured Autobots to get them repaired. The survivors are brought back to Autobot City, where the Quintesson manages to reactivate them. We see Blaster, Blur, Cup, Steeljaw, and one we've never seen before. More on that in a second. After the happy reactions to, to Optimus being back has subsided, Optimus reiterates that he is back and so are you. Then, the mysterious Transformer speaks. Back? I'm better than ever. 
Look at this new paint job. I've gone beyond being just plain old Bumblebee. I'm a gold bug. To which Prime responds with, That you are, Bumblebee. And from now on, that's exactly who you'll be. Gold bug. Uh, I'd like to think there's like an alternative take of that. It'd be like, that's a stupid name. Shut up. Shut up, Bumblebee. <laughs> so Prime's like, I've been back two minutes. Can you just let me call everyone by the name I know them by? <laughs> yeah. Also, poor Optimus Prime is just like, you know, because Bumblebee was sort of always, always there kicking around with him. And suddenly like he comes back to life and it's like, oh, like everyone's had a paint job. Like what's going on? <laughs> also got to be said. Assuming Bumblebee was repaired and he had to get repaired to this degree, he must have got proper messed up by Superion. Yeah, well, I mean that would that would make sense. I mean, there's a deleted scene that you want to see. I mean, to be fair, in, in the in the Marvel UK comics, he literally gets blown to pieces um, <laughs> because that seems to be what happens to every Transformer that dies in the Marvel UK comics. I forget. I think he may, I, I think he gets involved in like an unfortunate space bridge accident, if I recall. Oh. Like there's there's a point where because because like the Marvel comics were doing a whole bunch of time travel stuff. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's what it U- was. UK or US, sorry. The, the UK comics. Uh, mm. Some of it may have crossed over, but yeah, I think it was it was it wasn't the the space bridge. It was weird time travel stuff, and I think I think it was maybe that there was I don't know. I might be making this up. But I feel like there was a point where Bumblebee travels to the future. And because only one version of a Transformer can exist in any one universe, like, he basically just blew up. Um, I may be misremembering some of that, but I feel like that was definitely a thing of just, like, you know, if they're exactly the same, they're in the same place, that bad things happen. There there was definitely some pretty disturbing, like, oh my god, that's a horrible way to to go. Um, And then somehow he gets rebuilt as Goldbug. So... After that has been said, Goldbug then asks Prime, what is the plan? What are we going to do? Prime says, I don't have a plan. (laughs) (laughs) Now this is because without the accumulated wisdom, which I love that phrase, within the matrix of leadership, which now resides in Rodimus, he doesn't have a clue where to start. Yeah, I, that, I, 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 I like I like the idea that the, the backup plan for this would have been let's go to the planet with the backup of all the Autobots records on it, and then <laughs> and then then Wheelie has to say, yeah, ab- about that Optimus, there was there was a bit of an incident with me and we, Daniel. We, he's like, we were trying to find out Ultra Magnus's birthday, <laughs> and you can tell Optimus is just like. Yeah, go you, on. You, you can you can imagine the story. It's like yeah, you know, like look, the 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 Autobot record planet was destroyed. It's like the Decepticons. Did they do this? It's like no, it was it was us. It's like oh, you did it to thwart the Decepticons. Like we were trying <laughs> we were trying to find out Ultra Magnus's birthday. And it's just like oh, just kill me again, please, somebody. <laughs> I'm I'm done here. And then either Daniel or Wheelie says, but Cyclonus was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like just to try and soften the blow a little bit. Yeah, it's like when's your birthday, Optimus Prime? It's like he's like, you don't get to ask that question. <laughs> yeah, should've... well, should... if 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 only they'd let you fall in that acid vat in Unicron after all. <laughs> so once we've had this moment of madness of oh great, Prime's back. He doesn't know what to do because he hasn't got his he hasn't got his memory card in effectively. <laughs> Jessica then comes forward and says that with the experimental alloy that she, her father, and Gregory had been working on, 
They've proven it would be strong enough to block the spores because they were inside the ship when the spores first appeared, never affected them. So there is that is legitimately correct. So theoretically, coating Optimus Prime's entire body with this alloy would protect himself from the spores infection and allow him to get close enough to Rodimus to remove the Matrix from him. However, all remaining samples were stolen by the Decepticons. The Autobots decide to retrieve the alloy, which leads to the following conversation, beginning with Jessica saying, Not so fast. You've got to take me with you. Optimus responds with, Sorry, Jessica, that's too dangerous. Jessica responds with, Any more than rescuing you from an exploding sun? <laughs> You've made your point. Welcome aboard, says Optimus as he shakes her hand. <laughs> yeah, Great but- little bit of dialogue there. Yeah, Jessica is pretty great throughout all of all of this story, and like kudos to her for that. I I like Jessica as a character genuinely. I am partly wondering though, like, why did we get like one episode of Carly in this season? Like, what happened? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, maybe she just got fed up with Spike, and they just got divorced at some point. I don't know. Or she went, "Can you teach your son to not nearly blow up Cybertron?" Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, I'm che- I'm checking out of all of this because it's just like <laughs> I can't I can't deal with you guys. And then, for the first time in what feels like a very long time at this point, Andy, we hear the immortal words from Optimus: "Autobots, transform and roll out." As the scene concludes. Meanwhile, on Char, Galvatron is pinned down by his own diseased soldiers, more specifically Cyclonus, Scourge, and Predaking. <laughs> Talk yeah. about a fight, which prompts Galvatron, Andy, to shout the following line of dialogue when he's realising how bad of a situation he is in. Quote-unquote, Have I no friends left? <laughs> it's like, these guys were never your friends, Galvatron. I don't know if you've been paying attention throughout this season. Unable to fight back against just the maddening ferocity of of his technically now former comrades, suddenly Optimus Prime and Co. appear to save the day. Galvatron echoing what everyone is thinking at this point, going, The Autobots are trying to save me? What madness is this? <laughs> now, point of note, Andy, I don't remember off the top of my head if anything happened in Dark Awakening, but that aside... This is the first interaction between Galvatron and Optimus we've ever had, right? Yeah, and it's it's kind of it's kind of weird, really. Like it's one thing that I expected this episode to maybe do, and sort of wish it had done is because that's got to do a number on Galvatron's already kind of messed up brain, um, and it's one of it's one of the good thing again it's one of the things that the comic enjoys doing when optimus prime comes back of just like galvatron being like literally i died to kill you and now you've come back and i'm still a galvatron this sucks basically um <laughs> uh, and you know it just it just kind of like deepens his madness so it's kind of strange in this episode it's kind of strange generally in this episode how chill galvatron is like he's pretty he, he's pretty kind of laid back about the whole thing compared to what you might expect but specifically a around Optimus Prime, it's like, you know, your former rival who you sort of sort of killed with your bare hands uh, at the cost of your own life, and now he's back, like, rocking around doing his Optimus Prime thing, and you're still Galvatron, and he's just, yeah, there's no real response to that, which is a little bit weird, but hey, there, there we go. 
So the first thing that Optimus does is convince Galvatron that it would be in all of their best interest to form an alliance to be able to end what is going on. Then all of a sudden the battle ends. And this is because Andy, and I'm not even joking, because Galvatron says they need to recharge. <laughs> their batteries ran out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess again, like yeah, we we have done for a while. Like, Energon is low amongst the Decepticons, so I guess co- continuity-wise, that makes some sense. I'll, I'll you just them... thought like a madness plague might have made them not need a cup of coffee or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it's clearly one of those like, how do we end this fight? Because this is a really awkward situation given everything we've set up. So somebody is probably just like, ah, the batteries run out. There you go, problem solved. So. At this point, the Decepticon leader is suspicious of Optimus's motives, especially when he learns that they need the alloy that he had already stolen, but he can't get a reason for why out of Optimus. But he agrees to join in with the Alliance, if you will, and leads Optimus down a series of, of booby-trapped tunnels in the bowels of Char, from giant spiders, which prompts a wonderful moment where Jessica simply on screen, suddenly not in her exo spacesuit for that one moment, just simply shouts, SPIDERS! <laughs> yeah, again, feel, feels like somebody on staff here really enjoyed animating giant spiders, because we had one in Call of the Primitives, we've had one here, somebody really into the like, what if there was a big spider? And it's a freaking big spider as well, like, holy cow. It is a big spider. Again, one of the things that I sort of remembered, like, you know, is my sort of deja vu moment of this episode. It's like, oh yeah, there was a big spider in this one as well. I remember this bit. (laughs) So there's giant spiders, lava pits, energon leeches, which I thought was quite a cool concept for a random thing. And during all of this, while Galvatron's leading them through the tunnel, he's just being the biggest troll at the best of times. He's doing a wonderful job of that. Which eventually prompts the following conversation. Galvatron starting with, Come on, Optimus, tell me. Why do you want this metal? How will it be used? Why is it so precious? Optimus responds with, I've explained it to you. Galvatron says, You told me it was important, but you didn't tell me why. And Optimus then responds with, That's because I know you too well, Galvatron. There was part of me that almost wanted Optimus to go, just accidentally calling Megatron out of habit. Yeah, yeah, I felt like there should have been at least one of those moments of, like, Mega... I mean, Galvatron. Um, so, yeah. Like, I mean, did anybody even fill him in on what happened with all of this? Like, to extend that thought? Because I don't think we've had a scene where anyone sat sat Optimus Prime down and been like, so about Megatron, it's like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure he must have died out of that fight. And it's like, well, kind of. But there's good news, bad news. <laughs> good news is, yeah, yeah. Megatron is dead. Bad news, there's somebody even worse now, born from his body. Yeah, I was just trying to think off the top of my head, because Prime has already passed by the time Galvatron is formatted in the movie. And then yeah. I guess in Dark Awakening, like we mentioned, we don't think they had an interaction. And then Skylinks didn't mention it in his recap, so no, I guess technically he doesn't know unless... They were filled in on the way to Char, maybe in a deleted scene. Yeah, yeah. You imagine there was probably there's probably some chit chat on the journey of like, so guys, what happened while I was gone? Like, you know, any anything important? And it's like, well, we we discovered who invented the Transformers. Your nemesis has been reborn in an even more powerful body. Rodimus Uni- tried to kill himself a few times. Yeah, Rodimus <laughs> tried to commit suicide. Like Unicron came back to life once or twice. Uh, I mean, I mean, did, 
did Op- does Optimus Prime even know about Unicron? Right, because I mean, he died before anybody really got to relay the information about what was happening to the moon bases, etc. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, by the way, there was a giant robot that came and ate the planet, <laughs> um, and and at both of the moon bases. Um, most of your other friends are dead. Uh, it's like, but apart from that, yeah, it's been pretty pretty chill while you were gone. To be honest, pretty pretty quiet. I'm just trying to think. I guess. He might have at least been aware something was going on when it came to, like, Unicron. Well, I don't think anybody was, because, I mean, the first broadcast from, like, Moon... Because because Moonbase 1 only gets, like, attacked after Optimus Prime has died, because everyone's like, oh, well, at least things can't get any worse, and then... <laughs> oh, because in the opening scene, it's a planet, isn't it? It's not a yeah. base. That's that's why I'm getting confused. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah. yeah, like, Moonbase... Moonbase 1, yeah, get, gets chomped after Optimus Prime's death, so technically he wouldn't even know anything about Unicron. Um, so Optimus just goes, what's a Unicron? Yeah, yeah, like, that would be quite the, like, the handover meeting <laughs> with the, re- the, 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 the reborn Optimus Prime of just, like, you know, what happened while I was gone. And it's like, well, got some stories for you. So back in, in the tunnels of Char... With their numbers dwindling from the tunnel's natural hazards and eventually an infected Decepticon mob catching up behind them, they have to move very quickly. We get to a point where until... Sorry. We get to a point where it's only Optimus, Galvatron, Skylinks and Jessica and they arrive at the Alloy's hiding place. Unfortunately, Jessica accidentally let slip of their plan to coat Optimus with the metal after confirming that there would indeed be enough of it to do the job. Good job, human. You had one thing to do. This prompts Galvatron to then turn on Optimus in the hopes of using the process on himself, but his arm cannon, which at various points in this episode, Andy, is a is a, is a hand gun, it should be said, is then knocked out of his hand, and Skylinks just randomly holds it and effectively does a stick him up to, Mecha, to, to I think he said Megatron, to Galvatron. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I continue to enjoy the Autobot steals Megatron slash Galvatron's gun and uses it against him moments. Like, never, <laughs> never stops being entertaining to me, so I, I, I like this one as well. Can I just say, in doing that recap there, I know I said Megatron, it may have come across like it was a joke. That was out of habit that that <laughs> happened. Literally, I did not plan that. I genuinely just said Megatron, like, out of habit from saying Optimus so many times. <laughs> that, that really shows how it's ingrained. How did Peter Cullen not do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a weird, it's a weird thing, because, yeah, like, this is not a matchup we've had before, so... Under coercion, it should be said... Galvatron is loading the alloy into Prime's trailer, but doesn't notice that an infected Cyclonus has managed to sneak into the area where they are and then infects Jessica in the process, just by touching Jessica. Also, I think effectively trying to do the equivalent of, like, putting a hand over Jessica's mouth, but Jessica's wearing an exosuit. It shouldn't work. But whatever. I won't worry about that. And then Jessica, in turn, because I think Galvatron tries to avoid Cyclonus, and ultimately they just do a very quick wide angle shot, and you effectively just see this little tiny red speck just touch Galvatron on the leg, <laughs> and that's what it was. It was Jessica doing it. So I thought that was a wonderful little moment there. Yeah, yeah, that is that is very good, and that's, that's all it takes. So Jessica has done that, and they end up just leaving Jessica there. 
that being Skylinks and Optimus, because they begin to flee, they just have to leave Jessica on Char. So, damn, that sucks. Yeah, that's that's why she, that's why this is the only episode she's in, I guess. We probably just <laughs> forgot about her completely and just like, wasn't there somebody else we should probably have saved? Where's Carly? <laughs> Once they are on Earth, Optimus is coated with the alloy, now turning him a completely silver colour, which I originally wrote down as grey and then thought, no, they can't do that. There will be loads of flashbacks otherwise yeah, to kids y- being in the cinema. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or well, they could have gone with white and then he could have been like the body bit of Ultra Magnus, like his <laughs> toy, but... <laughs> and Prime immediately sets out to find Rodimus. He finds that trying to reason with Rodimus and then trying to take him down is actually not an easy thing to do. He's unwilling to try and hurt his successor. And ultimately, this leads both Prime and and Rodimus. I know you said Prime and Prime. That's not I could say that, but whatever. The, the this Primes. Leads, there you go. This leads both Primes... Oh, this is going to get confusing. Optimus and Rodimus end up in an auto shop, effectively. Like, a, a big, like, assembly plant where you would manufacture cars and such. Attempting, once again, to peacefully subdue and talk Rodimus into helping him. But the hate plague is not conforming to wanting to do this at all. So, we basically get a giant fight between Rodimus and Optimus. Now, in the Dark Awakening episode, Andy, we got a pretty good fight between these two. And it was almost kind of that weird what-if scenario. Like, if they had had a fight. This is the reverse of it now. Where Rodimus is the villain, and you can bet there were a lot of people happy to see that Rodimus was the villain, given what had happened less than a year earlier. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for for sure. And this is also interesting because, I mean, that previous occasion, it was basically, it was Hot Rod versus Optimus Prime because, you know, he'd given up the Matrix Mm. at this point. Fair point. This is kind of like a proper toe-to-toe, like, you know, which prime is the best prime effectively um with with admittedly some caveats around the whole madness plague thing um but yeah it's a pretty juicy again it's one of the the fun cool things you can do with this kind of concept of all the stuff you can't normally do of autobots fighting each other it's like well all bets are off you can you can you can have some fun with this and see what what happens now in the process of this all happening Rodimus manages to infect Skylinks as well. So now, Skylinks is also done. I think Optimus is probably the only Transformer not infected at this point. But Optimus is able to get the upper hand in his transformed state, Andy, by hiding on a conveyor belt next to a car. (laughs) I love this so much. Yeah, it's very, very good. He then surprised attacked Rodimus... (laughs) The idea of this is great. He's just on a conveyor belt and then just effectively just transforms and goes, surprise! (laughs) And ultimately, Optimus is forced to knock the heck out with a mighty left hook, Rodimus Prime, and then takes the Matrix back by force. Back at Autobot City, Optimus dives into the Matrix, quite literally, like, like he does what Rodimus does, but safer, you could argue. (laughs) And then we're sort of getting like the whole thing of there being elders and whatnot from Transformers lore, looking into delving into their history and such. More specifically, we see a spirit of Alpha Trion. And when Optimus is asking, effectively, do you know what the heck these spores are? Trion goes, I've I've no idea. I've, I've never heard of it before. But warns him that if he travels too far, 
he risks becoming lost within the Matrix itself. I'm pretty sure Rodimus got that a similar warning to that as well, so there is at least some consistency with that. Yeah, yeah, for for sure. I I, I did like sort of Alpha Trans like now you're just gonna have to rewind a bit further here. Like this <laughs> is the, the the Matrix VHS tape is like now you've got to wind it right back to the beginning to find out what's going on here. During Prime's journey inside the Matrix, we see that he is lying on a bed and the Quintesson is basically trying to stand guard and make sure nothing happens. Not helped when a whole bunch of infected Transformers come by and start trying to knock down the door. And he's basically going, ah, hurry up! And then we cut back inside Optimus Prime's Matrix journey. And we see that he's now talking to, I want to say... In one of the flashbacks we got earlier this season, Andy, there was kind of like a skull face type thing that we saw. Like one of the images. I want to say this was just like a more wire-lined version of that. I can't think of the right... wireframe version of that skull image. But said skull image imparts the following wisdom. Quote, The plague you speak of has visited us once before. A wise man was able to contain the spores and send them into the sun but no one was able to destroy them. No one had the power to do that. The only way to fight such madness is with wisdom. Unfortunately, no one person now has the wisdom to contain the spores, much less destroy them now that they are spread across the galaxy. Quote. Optimus then realises that a source of raw wisdom may be able to destroy the infection once and for all. What is that, you ask everybody? It's the Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> he becomes he becomes an encyclopedia salesman and thus saves the planet. And that's the end of this this episode. It's really good. And th- then you get a sponsorship bit from Encyclopedia Britannica. Is that is that what happened? I forget. Here's an Encarta CD Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's that's like a decade's too early for this. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just in the real timeline, but you know. Yes, yeah. I mean, in 2006, <laughs> I guess we were still in Carter time. Yeah, it's like Wikipedia. <laughs> so what this is, everybody, is the accumulated wisdom inside the matrix of leadership. The infected Transformers finally break into the base and the Quintesson is just basically going, Stop! Stop them, someone! And Galvatron grabs a metal pole And he's basically intending to kill Prime. Well, he is going to try and kill Prime because he literally says, This world is ours. Optimus Prime shall die again. However, at that very moment, Prime's chest opens to reveal a glowing matrix, surprising the Transformers standing in front of him. So much so, they just stood still. They can't move. Then... Some familiar music begins that I genuinely did not think we would hear again in the show, let alone the continuity. It's the opening chords to the touch. And we hear the lyrics of you've got the touch, you've got the power. And I literally just went, I think I just pretty much went and you're like, effing yes. Yeah. I'm so happy. Do you think, like, this is now my fan theory now, is that that music is actually, like, diegetic music and the the Matrix actually plays that whenever it's activated? (laughs) That it's actually just, like, a little chip inside the Matrix that just plays that song? 
It's only got enough space for that one MP3. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's early days. It's probably yeah. It's probably like it's it's probably just like a MIDI file or something. It's, you know. Oh, amazing! And then while this is going on, Prime then asks the Matrix to quote unquote now light our darkest hour, hearkening back to what he said in the movie. And Optimus Prime pulls the Matrix of Leadership apart, releasing its energy, which spreads across the entire world, the universe. Literally just obliterating this plague. Transformers and humans are returning to normal. The world is calming down. And now randomly, Jessica is back on Earth and embraces Gregory. Remember him? He, haven't seen him in a while now. So all of that has happened. The scene has concluded. And some while later, in Autobot City, a remorseful Gregory and Jessica's father Mark offer deep apologies to the Autobots, while Galvatron, in a rare moment of calm, just walks over to Optimus, shakes his old enemy's hand, and proclaims that Prime has earned his respect, and that, quote-unquote, there will be no war today. At this moment, Optimus just holds the Matrix right in front of Rodimus, just like, you know, here you go, do you want it? who at this point, Rodimus is now Hot Rod, it should be said, because he doesn't have the Matrix in him. And he notes that the Matrix is now empty. And its wisdom, like, lost in order to stop the plague. All that data, Andy, just wiped. And Optimus, at this point, disagrees. Because he says that they have all become a little wiser now. And although the Matrix is indeed empty of wisdom... <laughs> I can fill it with booze. It's gonna be great. <laughs> it's gonna be like it's gonna be like when someone's won a trophy in a football tournament or something. <laughs> he said it is now up to them to fill it once again with their knowledge and experience that they gain from here on. The episode concludes with Optimus once again seemingly question mark the Autobot leader ordering his troops to quote unquote transform and roll out. As we hear the touch once again play out as the scene fades to black. I mean, g g given that they probably had to pay the music rights for this episode, it's like, be damned if we're not using this twice. <laughs> like, we're going to use this wherever we can for the end of this episode. I've got to be honest, them using the touch in this, it added so much. Especially from, from the journey we've been on getting through the movie in season three and stuff... It felt like such a good payoff for that to happen. And just little moments, like you said, calling back to things that happened earlier. In the, just in the story, let alone an episode. It was, just, it was such a good payoff. And it, it opens up a lot of questions as to what happens next without, with me not knowing, quite frankly. But this was definitely worth it. And a great second episode to this two-parter. And a great season finale, more to the point. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good. You know, it, it goes all the way to the end of like you know, Optimus Prime is effectively the only unaffected being in the universe, pretty much, and has <laughs> to fix it all, which is really good. Like, yeah, I mean, using the touch is you know a, a nice touch with every pun intended. Like, that's a really great, 
way to do that and call call it back. And again, I mean, even the whole light our darkest hour thing, you know, that was Rodimus Prime's bit at the end of the movie. It flipping like, was, wasn't it? Yeah. Why? So it's like finally Optimus Prime gets to use the thing he's been carrying around for God knows how long. Um, I mean, I did find it kind of funny, like given all the talk about how the Matrix, you know, will light our darkest hour, and then you know, Optimus Prime's like, well, I don't know what to do about this really dark hour. I, if only I had something to light it to fix this problem. And it delves all the way into the Matrix, and it's just like, is he the Matrix? <laughs> and it's just like, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, the Matrix. I should probably, I should probably have thought about that. But don't um, forget, before he had it in his hand, though, he didn't know what to do because he didn't have the memory card. Yeah, yeah, for for sure. But he didn't have his save file. Yeah, but you'd have thought that might have been like the first port of of call. It's like I've got the matrix out. I wonder whether this can fix it. Um, but so you know, it, it's it's all you know. I I, I did appreciate the the delving into the matrix, but I'm not sure whether I'm reading too much into the the idea that like the kind of skull face sort of former leader is like a bit of a like. Quintesson offshoots because it, mm. they look a little Quintesson-y. Um, lots of nice little touches like that. But yeah, it's, it's a really good like it, when you're bringing back like an iconic character. There's always a danger that it's either a gonna feel like a cash in, which as discussed is not the case here quite literally because they didn't have a toy to sell, or b it just feels like a really lazy. We've got to shoehorn this character back into things and. I will give absolute kudos to these episodes for making this work. Like, despite the weird continuity around Dark Awakening, you know, runtime, whatever it was, like, you know, beyond that, it's a good return for that character. It doesn't feel kind of, you know, phoned in or shoehorned in as a, like, well, we've got to do this. Like, and, and again, I think just the, the writing chops of the people involved would probably, you know, went a long way to making this work and making this a good a good two-parter um and yeah like it's really good it's thoroughly entertaining like i say the, the biggest question in my head is whether i like this kind of story now because of this two-parter that i watched when i was a kid or vice versa um but yeah it's 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 a, it's a good time it's it's a very good a very good way to end a season and um yeah like it's surprisingly good uh as, as a way to like bring back a character as, as beloved as optimus so now we venture to the TF Wiki. Let's see what trivia notes we have got. Most, I'll say for part two, but no doubt some of this is going to cross over into, into part one territory as well. So let's see what we have. Continuity notes. Prime says of Galvatron, quote, that's because I know you too well, quote. As this is the first time Optimus has really met Galvatron, apart from a brief firefight while being half alive as a quasi-zombie in Dark Awakening. Okay, so that answers that question. It seems he is able to recognise his old foe, despite the change in name and appearance. Optimus likely learned of Galvatron's identity while Galvatron briefly, briefly possessed the Matrix in the burden hardest to bear. Ah, oh, that's a really good theory. I like that. Yeah. So when, a... so when Galvatron put it in inside his arm cannon, the Matrix were albeit two seconds... And Optimus's like shadow ghost appeared for a brief yeah. moment. Yeah, that's yeah. a good call. Yeah, that, that that is true. Yeah, he has met Ghost Optimus, who was like, "Oh, put it down." Um, and, <laughs> Return the Matrix. Yeah, it was like, yeah. So I, I guess, yeah, you you could. I'll, I'll let them have that technicality on on Galvatron. But yeah, I, I took it to be far more of a like I. I knew you as Megatron, like, you look kind of similar, you've both got arm cannons, clearly you're the same guy. Um, but uh, but yeah, that, that works as well. 
furthering the sense that the throttle bots were, th were thrown into this two-parter at the last minute, the only dialogue they receive comes in this episode, a collection of generic, barely on-screen shouts delivered by Frank Welker, Smash Rodimus, and Jack, and Jack Angel after him, that aren't attributed to any individual members of the group. Dedicated performers would later be cast to play the individual throttle bots in the first episode of the Rebirth trilogy. Oh, cool. Well, we'll get, I look forward to getting a bit more throttle bot then. Optimus's journey through the Matrix gives us a look at some of its, of its early bearers. It almost goes without saying that these robots don't resemble any of the ones that we saw back in Five Faces of Darkness Part 4. <laughs> Moving backwards in time, they include a broad... A broad-faced bot with prominent cheek guards, a slimmer, decrepit-looking bot in similar colours, a heavily bearded bot, a wireframe-style entity referred to in the script as It, bearing a strong resemblance to a Quintesson's Judge's Death Head. That's a good tongue twister. A version of this design appeared previously in Rodimus Prime's dream sequence in Five Faces of Darkness Part 2. There you go. Wasn't totally losing it when I thought that. Yeah, there we go. Also, I love the fact it's just called It. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who who needs a name when you're that important to the plot? I mean, look, I'll tell you now. It has its own TF wiki page. Would you like me to embrace that and go and see what it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do we? Do, do, does It reappear at any point in this in the rebirth? So. The entity known only as It resides in the Autobot Matrix of Leadership. While his exact nature may be nebulous and lost to time, he is always tied to the ancient dangers faced in Cybertron's past. In terms of uh, G1 stuff, is literally just referenced in Five Faces of Darkness Part 2 and Return of Optimus Prime. Yeah, okay, fair enough. The, the, the last appearance of it in the, uh, in the cartoon there. Um, there is an extra note or two here. So the robot was never named in fiction. Also, I will uh, will also note there was a, a Generation Select special comic, a Legends comic, and there's also seemingly as well, it was part of the 2019 IDW continuity as well. So the robot was never named in fiction. The designation it comes from a cartoon episode script. Likewise, no origins, or any origins that we know of, existed for this character during the G1 cartoon run. Though the character does bear a likeness, as we just mentioned on the other page, Andy, to the death face found on the Quintesson Judges. The Generation Selects Special Comics final chapter was the first piece of fiction to establish a background for this character, making him the ancient leader of the Quintessons. Rather fitting, isn't it? And uh, they also say, in this case, how do you spell the possessive form of it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully the the massive wisdom of the Matrix has that, but oh, I guess that's all gone now, so <laughs> you'll never know. So what else do we have here? Okay, a bit of a big one here, but bear with me. Upon entering the Matrix of Leadership, the first Autobot that Optimus Prime encounters is Rodimus Prime. Then he converses with, with Alpha Trion. The latter's appearance there is somewhat puzzling, as it was previously established, and later reiterated, that he had merged with Vector Sigma. Alpha Trion's presence makes even less sense, considering that it was clearly stated in Five Faces of Darkness Part 4 that he had never taken the Matrix for himself, thus eliminating the possibility that a backup copy of himself had somehow been uploaded into it. 
A variety of later fiction would indirectly offer explanation centering around the connection between the Allspark, the Matrix, Vector Sigma, and Primus. In Alpha Trion's case, he's in the afterlife, which one can communicate, sorry, which one can communicate with through both the Matrix and Vector Sigma. Rodimus's presence is more murky, but can be accounted by can be accounted for, excuse me, by the notion of the Matrix as a gateway to the Allspark. Yeah, it's definitely a, a, a it's one of those weird kind of hand wavy. It's just like ah, you've got. You, You've kind of if if you if you want somebody giving Optimus Prime advice, you've got to have Alpha Trion. So it's like just yeah, just shoehorn him in. I'm I'm not I'm not even too worried about continuity with him. It's like yeah, you just kind of got to have a bit of Alpha Trion. It's fine. Optimus using the Matrix to cure the Hate Plague bears more than a passing resemblance to when Rodimus used the Matrix to destroy Unicron in the movie, like you mentioned, Andy. Here we go. So in Japanese continuity. The events of issue 3 of The Great Transformer War take place shortly after this specific episode, helping to bridge the gap between it and Four Warriors Come Out of the Sky, the first episode of the Headmasters Japanese continuity cartoon. So it's interesting to know. There's a lot of animation bits and some continuity errors and whatnot. I will have a quick skim to see if there's anything worth noting. So the TF Wiki randomly says... Shouldn't Jessica's full-body exosuit protect her from direct contact and infection? To which, my first response is, maybe yeah, but she doesn't have the coating of the alloy. Yeah, I mean, I always took it to mean that it would just, you know, travel through anything. Because, I mean, if mm. machines can get infected, then surely, yeah, just like an exosuit wouldn't be enough. Otherwise, you could say, well, I was wearing a really thick pair of jeans, so therefore I'd be protected. So, yeah, I, I, I that's... Perhaps, but yeah, given that literally everything else gets infected, it seems like the alloy would be the only thing that fixed it. So why they didn't make her a new exosuit out of the alloy is maybe another question, because it wouldn't have taken much of it. But uh, hey-ho. Speaking of Jessica, how exactly did she get off Char? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm here to assume that she did not. I'm, I'm sorry to inform you. She was probably just abandoned there forever. And... What are she and Gregory, and I did not notice this, Andy, but by the time they're cured of the hate plague and I mentioned that they embraced, they're in Moscow. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just the case of an accidental recycled background from a previous shot, which did depict actual Russians being cured of the hate plague. Even though both shots feature onion domes reminiscent of St. Basil's Cathedral, they're definitely different background paintings, so what gives? <laughs> Yeah, um, there's there, there's a whoever's like working on you know rebooting the the comics. Maybe there's there's a side story you can investigate. What what happened to Jessica after the uh, the plague was cured? How did she end up in <laughs> Moscow? Skylink suddenly grows a pair of hands to pick up Galvatron's particle cannon with, even though they're supposed to be his bird mode legs, which they appear to be based on. What's he standing on? Yeah, that's all very good questions. <laughs> so, the timing of the last scene, according to the TF Wiki, is odd. It's long enough after the cure is unleashed for Optimus to have the metal removed or painted over, and for Cup, Hot Rod, Ultra Magnus, and the three humans to arrive at Autobot City, yet Galvatron is still hanging around. <laughs> and both he and Hot Rod speak as though the previous scene's events have just happened. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, my head canon is that Galvatron just like I actually quite like hanging out with Optimus now. Like maybe I'll just <laughs> maybe I'll just stick around. Like you know, we, we can now Soundwave doesn't want to hold my hand anymore. Maybe Optimus Prime will hold my hand, um, and that that would be nice. So yeah, I'll just I'll just stick around here for a bit. Also interesting to apparently in that scene that we I just mentioned, Galvatron is a consistently portrayed without his canon. <laughs> yeah. Just now, it's been sullied by Skylinks. He just doesn't want it anymore. It's like no, just don't, not don't care for it now. So, final note for this section of this page: Does anyone else think that the two scientists get off way too easy at the end of this episode? They willingly unleash the hate, unleash the hate plague. Excuse me, that causes widespread devastation and probably death across not just the world but the entire galaxy, just to spite the Autobots. And they get off just by saying, sorry? Yeah, yeah, that does seem a little... I mean, even by Optimus Prime's kind of standards of forgiveness, you know, that's that's a little a little much. I mean, that said, they also add, then again, we don't actually see Optimus Prime shaking their hands. Burn! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that their true punishment, they don't get to shake Optimus Prime's <laughs> hand. So, trivia notes. Following the average for Toei Animation Part 1, this episode's artwork quality is among the series' best, with loads of detailed shading and some pink glowing smoke explosions seen in Transformers the movie, and characters generally on model and well-drawn. The portion of The Touch that plays includes the line about hell breaking loose, an unusually strong word for an American 80s TV cartoon. Guess the censors weren't looking elsewhere that day, Amusing timing as a bamboozled Galvatron says, What is this? Seemingly in reaction to the song replacing the show's usual background music. <laughs> I'd, li- I'd like to think that was a little bit. Again, that, this, just, this just ties into my theory that, that that song actually plays from The Matrix whenever it appears in, in show. It's just like, what? I mean, Gal- Galvatron was, was kind of intrigued like that, that weird music episode that we had as well. So he's kind of into his tunes. So, you know, it all makes sense. It all adds up now. I really want to know if there's been, like, if someone in some territory has released, like, a Matrix of Leadership clock that the alarm sound is the touch. I mean, if if they haven't, I'm happy to help work on the license goods <laughs> to make that happen because that would be I I, w- I would and imagine I mean the thing is you could you could turn off the alarm by just like pulling the sides apart. <laughs> you have to be, physically get out of bed and lift it up yeah. and go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be. Yeah, and then and then it lights up the face as well. Just pulling it apart like a first thing in the morning, and do you, maybe you can up the difficulty, like you can up the resistance. So yeah, you get, like, get a bit of a workout as well. Yeah, and if, if you want to hit the snooze button, you've got to like dive into the, the 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 history of the Matrix and talk to like Alpha Tryon and explain why you need an, another ten minutes sleep. So that would just be like a magic eight ball bit that you just shake <laughs> and just gives you like Alpha Tryon. Will I? Can I get a good night's sleep tonight? Shake, shake, shake. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, you get are, whatever Alpha Trion says. It, yeah, it just says you are Ultra Magnus and then, <laughs> and then it just stops working. <laughs> so, the Sunbow Productions cast list entry for this episode lists Orion Pax as appearing. A flashback to Optimus Prime's early days that was removed for time constraints, you might think. No. According to the dialogue script for the episode, Orion Pax was originally going to be the one to ask Prime why he had returned to the Matrix. 
Presumably, someone on the staff caught the error early enough, as Pax's line in the final cut went to Alpha Trion. The dialogue script also misspells Trion as Tyon, for that matter. <laughs> Jack Angel takes over the voice for Cyclonus following the death of Roger C. Carmel. I did not realise that Cyclonus' voice actor passed away. No, I did. I did think he sounded a little different. So yeah, that does that does make sense. But I, uh, I let me see that. if I can delve into that a little bit more. Uh, he passed away November eleventh, nineteen eighty six, and this episode. When was this? Uh, the final script was was finalised on the twenty fourth of November. So yeah, yeah, that ties in. Oh, I did not realise that 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 happened mm. with that timing. This is the final episode of the original American G1 cartoon to be animated by Toei. The remaining episodes would be animated by Acom. Toei would later return to animate all of the Japanese-exclusive G1 sequel series. So look forward, Andy. All of Season 4 is Acom. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly I'm so much more relieved that it's only three episodes. Prime's appearance in the alloy coat gives him a strong resemblance to Ultra Magnus's unused armoured form. <laughs> <laughs> there we go, then. And, as alluded to earlier, when it comes to the naming convention, pretty much, uh, in, in foreign localization, I should say, pretty much all Return of Optimus Prime Part 2. We've got the Resurrection of Convoy Part 2. And, obviously, Optimus Prime Resurrects Part 2 in Mandarin. But, additional note for the Japanese-specific airing of this. The Japanese version of this episode has an alternate ending. After Optimus Prime and the Autobots ride off into the sunset and the touch ends, the music changes to Transformer 2010 by Sho Hirose, and the scene shifts to a montage of all the major characters from the series. So rather than an alternate ending and like an alternate credit sequence, effectively. Yeah, just get a good old-fashioned montage. Following this episode, this is actually a fairly big note as well, it's got to be said, for anyone that's not aware. Japanese cartoon continuity diverges from the Western continuity. Rather than leading on to the Rebirth three-parter, which is what we'll be talking about on our next podcast, the Japanese continuity instead continues with Transformers The Headmasters. And the significant thing about that, Andy, is in the Japanese continuity, the Rebirth never happened. Yeah, yeah, I, I could never remember like whether the Headmasters was a follow-on from the Rebirth or not. So yeah, that, that clears that one up. Yep, so literally the next three episodes that we talk about in Japan, they're basically just a what-if story. Interesting. Or vice versa, from an American fan's point of view, arguably, the Japanese stuff is a giant what-if story. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. So there we go. I think that is going to wrap up discussing those notes Andy unless there's any additional notes you've got that you wanted to make quick mention of but I think otherwise that is going to do it for those episodes yeah yeah I mean the the, the one final thing I will mention that I, I didn't mention about the end of part one is like I've I've talked a bit this season particularly when it's come to ACOM etc about like the importance of good framing and good shot composition and I just want to call out that frame where that shot where like Ultra Magnus appears in the reflection behind Rodimus Prime as perhaps yeah. one of the greatest like shots of this cartoon like it's so well done and timed and placed where it's just like 
it's just absolutely perfect as like a the the menace over Rodimus Prime's shoulder, um, and that, and that is a, a really wonderful example of what you can do when you do that right. And so yeah, like it's it's a it's a highlight of a, one of, of of a couple of really good episodes. Indeed, it was quite the finale to season three, and it is pretty mental to think that. Next time, we are talking about the last three episodes, let alone the entire last season of American G1 Transformers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, again, I've like I've definitely watched The Rebirth at least once, maybe a couple of times as mm. a kid, but my memories are incredibly foggy about it. Like, I really can't remember much about it at all. So I, I'm very curious as to see whether it'll be a lot like this, these episodes where I'll suddenly like remember a lot of it as I go along, but... I'm I'm not too I'm not too sure. I, I was a big sucker for the Headmasters toys as a kid. Like that was sort of the last like round of Transformers toys that I was really in for. Um, so I'm kind of I'm I'm interested to watch the Rebirth and see see what it does. So a couple of tiny notes when it comes to the Headmaster, just to kind of set the scene ahead of the next podcast. First of all, according to the TF Wiki, because I've had a very quick glance so I don't spoil anything for myself, because like you, I don't remember a lot about these, but I've seen it at least once, the Headmasters trilogy. Apparently, the first episode of the Headmasters trilogy takes place several months after the return of Optimus Prime Part 2. Okay. So there's, there's a bit of a gap, arguably, but also there is a little bit of time in between it. In terms of when the episodes aired, because I think that's a randomly significant note, potentially... Optimus Prime 2-parter was on the 24th and 25th of February. Just double-check that. That is correct. And the first episode of Headmasters, or the Rebirth, I should say, sorry, was in November of 87. So February to November, that was the gap. And one would assume that a bunch of those Season 3 episodes kept rotating in and out of various television channels in America and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of... I guess kind of the sort of gap you'd, you'd expect. So yeah, like late late eighty seven sounds about right. Because yeah, I imagine for like UK VHS, like it must have been like eighty eight when I I saw that. So that that would that would figure. So yeah, from there, mate. I think we are gonna just about wrap up for today. But um, as mentioned though, next time we are talking about season four, the Headmasters trilogy, which in a weird way is. I should have just called it the Rebirth in hindsight. I call it the Headmaster's Trilogy. I don't know why, but <laughs> the Headmaster Trilogy sounds a bit more epic than the Rebirth. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially, I mean, Rebirth is sort of a bit of an unfortunate name, given that that was it, because that suggests the beginning of something long-winded and spectacular. But I suspect we will probably have some discussion about what happens to the Transformers G1 cartoon as, as a result of the rebirth, because I suspect there are there are some stories and some TF Wiki notes that we all, we all want to dig in there, into there. Indeed. So with that being said, everybody, thank you very much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, why not tell a friend? We would really, really appreciate it. As mentioned at the top of the show, you can find us on the likes of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, you name it, we've done our best to get there. If you want to check out our Patreon long-term archive page, our free long-term archive, I should add, patreon.com slash starscreamsghost. And if you've enjoyed watching the video version, if you've been there, we'd really appreciate it if you'd like to hit a thumbs up on that. It would be very much welcomed. And should also be said as well, when it comes to the Rebirth 3-parter we're talking about next time, 
<laughs> I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this, Andy. The entire season four is on Hasbro Pulse. All three episodes of it. So if you want to join in the fun when we talk about it in two weeks' time at the time we're releasing this podcast, you can join in the fun accordingly. And one would think, Andy, there's probably going to be a lot to discuss. Not only just these episodes, but kind of what happened or what didn't happen next. Because I don't know the full story behind what ultimately led to the show like just being cancelled, quite frankly, or not happening anymore. So one would assume we may be getting some elaboration on that as we dive through it. Yeah, yeah, I, I certainly hope so, because, yeah, I'm not sure even I know the full story. Um, you know, I, I think I've I, I've probably read some on, odds and ends, heard some scuttlebutton urban myths, so hopefully we can we can get to the bottom of it, what, what happens to our, our beloved Transformers. Indeed. So with that being said, from myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, Mr. Andy Hanley, we've been Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Until next time, take care and speak to you soon. Bye, everyone.